0: Let's take our Bibles going go into Revelation chapter 16. Let's look at our, our outline. We are in the second part of the pouring out of the seven vials. And uh, we'll get down to vial number five today. And then next week, Lord willing, we'll finish six and seven. We're going to backtrack a little bit and we're going to see, uh, first of all, the, in Revelation 16.1, let's read that. It says, I heard a great voice out of the temple saying to the seven angels, go your ways and pour out the vials of the wrath of God upon the earth. This is a coming judgment that is the culmination of... God's judge the 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 judgment of God has been filling up in these vials for 6,000 years and it is now culminating in the judgment that we read about here in chapter 16 and so we see the judgment commissioned and here he's telling the angels go your ways just like he told the disciples go ye into all the world but this is not a message of grace, this is a message of judgment, and it is the fulfillment of prophecy. We find that uh, Moses prophesied about this in Deuteronomy chapter 29, and uh, it is also the fulfillment of prayer. The saints have been praying, God, when will you make it right? And uh, I'll give you an example. How many of you have something, anything that's, that's legally supposed to be done, but the people who are legally supposed to do it have not done it yet? Anybody like that? Uh, we had something, we had, my wife had a car run into the back of her car, and the insurance company contacted the, the, the driver and couldn't get in touch with her, couldn't get in touch with her forever and ever and ever and ever, and finally the insurance company said, we're just going to go ahead and we're going to do uh, what our insurance company is contracted to do. But uh, it, it's that unfinished business that's hanging over your head. And when I was growing up, I used to hear things like, you're, uh, you're fixin', to get a whipping, You're, you're about to, uh, they used to say, cruisin' for a bruising. In other words, all day long you've been, you've been causing problems for mom and mom's about to lose her mind and she's going to direct that lost mind to your rear end. That's what's going to happen. She is going to go crazy and then when dad gets home, you know, these are the old days, back when we used to discipline children. And now our children discipline us. So we say, yes, where, what would you like to do? Uh, but uh, th- that's, that's kind of a picture of what's happening here. God is finally fed up and he is dropping the bomb. So then we see the judgment commence. It starts with the first vial, which is the traumatic sore. The grievous, the noisome and grievous sore. It's a sore that stinks. Verse 3 shows us the toxic seas. It becomes the blood of a dead man. As the blood of a dead man, every living soul died in the sea. Someone asked a question this week. Uh, what souls are in the sea? Well, I don't know for sure. Maybe the ones that are swimming in the sea at the time, or uh, I don't know exactly. Uh, that's a good question. Of the number three uh, of the third vial, you see the tainted streams. And so with this, not only is the salt water affected in verse three, but the fresh water affected in verse four. And the reality of this judgment is that all of the water is turned to blood. And you can see an example over and over and over again in chapter 16. You see an example of the plagues that God brought on Egypt and how God protected a remnant, his chosen people, and protected them. So much so that they were unaffected by the judgment that their neighbors were experiencing. They were close neighbors, and yet one, one person receives judgment and one does not. And so that's what's happening here. Uh, there is water available to drink somewhere. Somebody's figuring out a way, but it certainly is not the normal, natural way. And the people of Israel, the remnant, they have fresh, clean water given to them from the Lord. And the righteousness of the judgment is seen in verses 5 and 6, where he says, uh, the angel of the waters say, Thou art righteous, O Lord, which art and wast and shalt be because thou hast judged thus. The way that you're judging the world is right. It's, that is the best way to judge the world. Why? For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and thou hast given them blood to drink, for they are worthy. Now, watch the response. The response of this judgment. Verse 7 I heard another, another out of the altar say, say, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are thy judgments. Now, this voice that's coming out of the altar, what is this? Who is this voice? Well, the voice is saying, Lord, you're doing the right thing. They wanted blood, and now they've got blood to drink. They wanted to, to, to bring other people to death, and now, God, you're bringing them to death. You are righteous. But let's go back. Look, at if you would, at verse uh, chapter 6. Look at Revelation chapter 6. And let's see this voice coming out of the altar. Revelation chapter 6. <clears throat> look at verse 9. It says, When he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. So this is the souls of those that had been martyred by the beast and the false prophet. And what did they say? They cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? Avenge our blood that dwell in the earth. God finally answers the prayers of these martyrs in Revelation chapter 16 because he is going to judge and avenge their blood. Notice they're saying, Lord, you're true and righteous, you're holy, Uh, and in, in other words, you found the perfect, perfectly righteous way to avenge our blood. How is that? They wanted blood. And you gave them exactly what they wanted. nothing could be more righteous than giving them what they asked for blood. By the way, be careful what you desire in your life because you may get it. you may you want success. You know we always look at the people we think look at look at those models, look at those. Fortune 500 company CEOs. Look at those founders. They're so amazing. I just have one question for you. Why why do people commit suicide that are successful? Why would you commit suicide if that's the pinnacle of being a human? I mean, we all want to be like that. Well, here's what we think. We look at people like that. We say, I'm the exception. I could handle... All the stuff that goes with being famous or being rich. Number one, you don't even know all the stuff that goes with it. Number two, why do we think that we're the exception? we got to be careful with that. Looking around and, and envying. You know, what? Uh, uh, a great way to handle envy, by the way, if you're envious of people, you don't get to pick and choose in a person what parts you want to take from them and envy. So let's say you're a woman that envies this woman's hair. You don't get to have this woman's hair by itself. Like, number one, you wouldn't just have her hair. That'd be kind of weird, right? You have to have her personality. You have to have her house, her job. You have to have her husband. See what I'm saying? When we envy, we only envy little tiny parts and here, they're saying, we want, we, we want blood. And, and, and the beast and the false prophet are bloodthirsty. <clears throat> they want to see that blood. But you know what they don't want? They don't want, they're assuming that they can have that in addition to everything else they have. And God says, no, I'm taking away the fresh water supply. And I'm going to give you blood to drink. Now, how much do you want to drink blood? Not at all. Not at all. Be careful with the, uh, with, they say that the, the rich the, the restless rich, the idle rich. A lot of times you'll hear about these crazy weird things and Jeffrey Epstein and, and you know, all these people that have all this extra time and money to start dabbling. You know, when you're starting to dabble on YouTube and Facebook or whatever else and you're going down rabbit holes, you could be really messing yourself up and other people around you because you're opening up doors Into the way they think. And you start thinking like that. And there's a principle here in Revelation 16. Of the principle, of course, we know of reaping and sowing. And these folks are reaping what they sowed. And so next time you're going to say, well, I can't believe God would be so, so harsh and violent. Well, he is perfectly righteous. And this is exactly what they wanted. And God's given it to them. Now, look at the next thing. Uh, letter D, the pouring of the fourth vial, which results in the scorching sun. Look what it says. The fourth angel poured out his vial, verse number 8, 16, 8, poured out his vial upon the sun. So these other ones were getting poured out on the earth, but now this one's poured out on the sun and power was given unto him to scorch men with fire. Flip back to 13, if you would, Isaiah, uh, Isaiah, Revelation 13. Look at Revelation 13. Look at verse number 13. It says, he doeth great wonders. This is the false prophet. False prophet that is working in tandem with the beast. He's the front man for the beast. Uh, It says, he doeth great wonders so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. We saw the sore, the the noisome, grievous sore. God said, you want a mark? I'll give you a mark. He, He says, you want blood? I'll give you blood. You want fire? I'll give you fire. And, and he says he the power is given to this angel to scorch men with the sun of the, uh, the heat of the sun. And of course, we understand that the sun uh, has a great impact on people. It has such an impact on us that uh, has that vitamin. What's it? Vitamin. Vitamin D. Vitamin D. I was going to say D something or other. Um, I don't believe in it myself, personally, so I don't know what it is. But I'm just kidding. Vitamin D, it's good for you, right? In fact, it's so good for you that some people worship the sun. They then they've done that for years. Uh, there's a there's a um, there's a, a wide receiver for the Detroit Lions. His name is Amun Ra Saint Brown. It's uh, it's uh, the god of the sun from Egyptian culture, and it's it's an interesting thing that here God is constantly poking holes in what they wanted, what they desired. They they wanted to have this mark, they wanted to have the blood, and so forth. Now look if you would, I, I'm going to read this for you very quickly, because we've got a lot of scripture to read. Uh, 30, Isaiah thirty twenty six. Moreover, the light of the moon shall be as the light of the sun, and the light of the sun shall be sevenfold as the light of seven days, in the day that the Lord bindeth up the breach of his people. And heal at the stroke of their wound. So the, even in the scorching of the sun, there is a, a hint, if you will, of God's grace. Not presently, but what is to come. Because if you if you mark that Isaiah thirty verse twenty six, he's talking about uh, what Acts chapter three references as the times of the restitution of all things, the millennium, where the Lord restores the earth, and that's when the sun shall be sevenfold. So in other words, just what would normally take you uh, an hour of exposure to sun for vitamin D, it would take you, you know, two minutes, three minutes, and you'd have all as much, you walk out for 15 minutes, and it'd be like being out there for four or five hours uh, that, it, with, without the harmful effects. But what's interesting is here, this is the sun scorching. So apparently, uh, this is happening at the end of the tribulation, Which butts up to the millennium. How many are with me? You remember this part? So the end of the tribulation. The sun is increased sevenfold. Men are being scorched. That goes on into the millennium. In which it's used for good. So like all the solar power stuff. Imagine. uh, Man Steve Jobs. Or not Steve Jobs. um, Elon Musk would love to have the sun turned up sevenfold. Without harmful effects. Because he 's big into you know the uh, solar powered things and, and the, the electronic uh, vehicles and all that that are coming up, uh, people would love to have that, and you see that all over the place. but here the earth's atmosphere has not apparently has not adjusted yet, and so that 's the reason why you know, when you don 't have that that barrier canopy between you and the sun. Uh, that's the problem, and so apparently the Earth's atmosphere is is really worn out, and it has not adjusted yet. When it does adjust, it will be able to handle it, and it'll be a good thing. But here, this is not a good thing. This is a uh, this is basically uh, boiling people's skins. So you have. Uh, all of your body, you got these sores, and you're trying to go to sleep, but you can't go to sleep because you, you've got these open running sores. And so you want a, a drink of water and you want to wash the sores, and you can't because all you have is blood coming from all the lakes and rivers and streams, and it smells so badly. Uh, think about a dumpster uh, in a back alley somewhere in, in a downtown behind a downtown restaurant, some dive, and that, that overflowing dumpster smell, now you're getting close to what it's going to smell like all over the place. Rotting fish, all of that. And And so now on top of all that, you've got this intense sun that's beating down, uh, it's beating down on those sores. And, and it, it's interesting. You think about how much th- that sun is coming down. No doubt. Have you ever, been, you ever seen anyone fry an egg on a sidewalk or on the top of a car or something like that? Um, that happens fairly often. Easy to do down in Phoenix, places like that. And you think about that. If you turn that sun up sevenfold, now you've got bubbling cauldrons everywhere you go. Because the water is just heating up. Um, you ever see someone who touches, they don't realize it's hot, and they, they touch it, and they just scream? It's, it's one of the worst things that can happen to you. And that's what's kind of uh, just the normal, regular thing. And so you've got these sores, and, you, and your whole body is just, you know, sun-scorched further than burned. I want you to go to uh, Isaiah chapter 24. Isaiah 24, the... the The Lord has told us about this because he doesn't want anybody to be here during that time. He's telling you straight up, this is not where you want to be at that time. Look at uh, Isaiah 24. Look at what it says in verse 4. The earth mourneth and fadeth away. The The world languisheth and fadeth away. The haughty people of the earth do languish. Haughty people. How can you be haughty? When you're languishing and fading away, the earth also is defiled under the inhabitants thereof because they have transgressed the laws, changed the ordinance, broken the everlasting covenant. Therefore, hath the curse devoured the earth, and they that dwell therein are desolate. Therefore, the inhabitants of the earth are burned, and few men left. In fact, that's what Jesus said in Matthew 24. Except those days should be shortened, There should no flesh be saved. So we find that there comes a point where the Lord does shrink that time because otherwise no flesh would even survive. But you'd think that at this point that people would be crying out in desperation. You think that people would be saying, oh, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Please, God, give me one more chance to be saved. But let's go back to Revelation 16. Let's see what they're saying. Revelation 16 this is how they respond Verse number 9 and men were Scorched with great heat And blasphemed the name Of God which hath power Over these plagues and they Repented not to give him glory There's Two extremes in Christianity If you're not careful you might end up in One of these ditches one is To think that Everybody Hates God Everybody does. Nobody wants anything to do with the gospel. They're all wicked. They're all cold. They're all antichrist. And it's just Laodicea and that's the way we are. Listen, be careful of that mindset. That is not true. That is not true. There are people out there who are looking for the Lord. There are people out there who, if God puts the right amount of pressure through prayer and conviction, they will submit and humble themselves. How do I know that? Look around. Don't try to tell me you were a perfect choir boy before you got saved. (laughs) Because if that's the case, you don't need to get saved. You were not perfect. You were a sinner. God put pressure on your heart. If you're like me, I was afraid I'd be left behind at the rapture. It's one reason why I love studying the book of Revelation because God used his end times movements and actions to convict me of a lost condition. And and so be careful of that extreme that says nobody cares. It's all the end of the age. And by the way, the reason why that really gets in our heads and stays there is because we don't witness. If you talk to people, you realize, oh, I thought they were going to bite my head off. I thought they were going to chew me up and spit me out. I left Mel Goffs the other day and uh, watching him, knowing he was about to check out for glory. And uh, I, I, when I got to, I stopped to get a cup of coffee and I said to the guy, man, I don't know if you know where you're going when you die. I, I just left a man who was about to go for hev- leave for heaven. And I said, I really want you to know you can know for sure when you're going to heaven. You know what that guy said? Thanks. Amen. Didn't expect that, did you? <laughs> you know Why? Problems not with the lost people, problems with us. Yeah. And could it be that Satan allows, or the Lord allows some mean and nasty people occasionally to test whether or not you're going to obey him? Because yeah. nobody wants to talk to a jerk, right? That may be why they don't want to talk to you either. I don't know. But think about that. God, there are people out there that care uh, about what's going to happen with them when they die. They're bothered by it. Uh, there's people that are, are freaked out about death. They're connected. You don't know what they've been into. You don't know what satanic Ouija board nonsense they've been involved in. You don't know what they've seen. My, my son worked with a guy, a uh, manager at McDonald's. And this guy was freaked out of his brain about satanic activity. And, and my son called him that day. It was Ben. He called him that day, and the guy wouldn't answer. And he called again, the guy wouldn't answer. And the guy finally answered the phone. And Ben wanted to talk to him about the Lord. And and the guy said, I can't believe you called. I had a dream last night. Scared me half to death. That stuff happens to people all the time. It's gotta. I mean, look at all the nonsense on television. People are watching that stuff. And the reason why they keep pushing the envelope is because people get used to it. And they have to keep scaring them even more. And those are the people we work around. So the first extreme to be careful of is that nobody wants to hear. They do. But on the flip side... There's another extreme And that is to think that if we could all just be nice If we could all just be good neighbors If we could all have a sweet Christ-like spirit Everybody on the planet would surrender and submit to the Lord And it's not true How do I know that? These people are in torturous conditions And they're not just resisting God They're blaspheming God They say, bring it on, God they're cursing God instead of submitting to God. How do we know that this is possible? In our own hearts, haven't we seen that? As believers, blaming God for something rather than saying, not my will, but thine be done. And here, these people are in the most desperate conditions. The fact, the Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. They recognize the source of the plagues, but they repent not to give him glory. And by the way, that tells us uh, what repentance is as far as God's concerned. It is turning from our own glory to give him glory. Turning from our own understanding to give God his glory that's due to him. Scripture helps define that. Now let's go on to the next thing. Judgment completed. The judgment completed, 16. And we're going to look, as I said again, just the fifth vial tonight. But let's read verses 10 and 11. And the fifth angel poured out his vial upon the seat of the beast and his kingdom was full of darkness. And they gnawed their tongues for pain and blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores and repented not of their deeds. So with the pouring of the fifth vial, the domains of the beast are ruined. Notice it's poured out on the seat of the beast. So let's look at several things about this. Um, Look at Revelation chapter 13, and you'll notice here that there is, that's the beast. This beast that rises out, and something that's stuck in my head, Brother uh, Mark Norman helped me see this, that other guys that I've, I've been talking to and reading after, they've helped me see this. Interestingly enough, the, 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 the name Antichrist is never attached in Scripture to a specific person. Uh, in fact, the word Antichrist is not in the book of Revelation. And so, as you're going into it, I've been really careful because Scripture says in Revelation 13, there's the beast and the false prophet. And, um, and you have the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. And antichrist seems to be he said there are many antichrists it is the spirit of antichrist which is satan himself but he manifests himself in the dragon and you also have the beast which is a person and the false prophet was a person so it's just something to chew on if you're a, a bible reader and studier student uh, and if you have a better illustration or explanation of that uh, i'm not saying that there's not a person that we would look at and commonly we would think that's the antichrist but scripture does not say that it says the beast and it says the false prophet i'm not trying to throw anything you know as the guy said you know venerated observances out the window uh it's just when you really start getting down to it technical then you have to start fitting things together and technically it does not say that so uh but but notice he is called the beast and it says in verse 1, I, saw, I stood upon the sand of the sea, saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns. And so that is uh, that he has this seat. And we'll see that in a moment. But first notice that the fifth angel is judging here, the fifth cherub. Remember we talked about this, how back in Ezekiel you had four beasts, Ezekiel 28. Uh, not 28, it's, uh, I can't remember the chapter, Ezekiel had, you had four beasts, those beasts are actually the cherubims, and, and they're around the throne, okay, and that's from eternity past, and you had another cherub, according to Ezekiel 28, that's the passage I'm thinking of, and that passage tells us that this is the anointed cherub that covereth, it's the fifth one, and, and by the way, if you haven't heard this stuff before, don't worry, don't worry, it's in the Bible And you can chew on it and look at it And see it, you know There's not a group of people who know The Bible and then everybody else There's only this And you can know it as much As you want to know it And if somebody knows something else than you, guess where they got it from They got it from here And if it's not in there, you don't have to listen to it It's really simple But if, if it is in there You might have to throw out some stuff That you already think about the Bible so fifth cherub here is, is Lucifer. And what what does Lucifer mean? Light bearer, right? So what is he doing? He is bearing the light. He's reflecting the light of the, of the throne of God. And, and, and he is uh, on top and he has jewels some type of reflection that's built into his body and he has just an amazing gloriousness about him. Well, through rebellion, he fell. And so now we find that uh, he's no longer able to reflect the glory of God. In fact, what's going to happen to him uh, and and to the beast here, his progeny, it's going to be darkness, the opposite of the light bearing that he did. So next we saw the seat of the beast. Uh, we look at Revelation chapter two. Look at Revelation chapter two, verse uh, thirteen, where he is talking to um, the uh, Pergamus, and he says, "Verse thirteen, I know thy works and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is, and thou holdest fast my name." So the seat of Satan. Uh, he has had a seat before. The what is what is the throne of God? It's never called the throne of God, but it is a symbol of the throne of God in the tabernacle. Does anybody remember? The mercy seat. So sometimes seat is used instead of throne. So throne and seat are interchangeable in Scripture. And here we have Satan's seat. talking about Satan's throne. We know uh, back in Isaiah 14 that he had a throne. Some, when he was in the Garden of Eden, he had a throne Because he said, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God That's Lucifer's throne that got taken away from him And now he has always tried to establish another throne throughout the, uh, throughout the nations He's always looking to do that So whoever will sign up and work for him and sell their soul to the devil You know, people say that um, Whoever will do it, he will give them power And and by the way, that's typically uh, what happens. People say, I'll I'll sell my soul for Satan to give me power. And by the way, the soul belongs to God. It doesn't belong to Satan. And you don't sell your soul to Satan. Uh, Your soul is yours. And until you die, that soul remains yours. But Satan can deceive you. And people will think, oh, I sold my soul to the devil, so I'm damned. If you're still sucking oxygen... You can still get saved. And, and so just keep that in mind. People get weird about satanic stuff. Do you think the devil's real? Absolutely the devil's real. You know what that means? God's real. And that's really cool. So the next time the devil tries to freak you out at night or whatever, and you think, oh, oh, oh I heard something. Just if it's true that there's a devil and that there's evil spirits, it's true that there's a God. And just kind of help take a chill pill there on that one. All right. Um, so he had this story and he lost it. Then notice, notice the kingdom of the beast, number three, is plunged in darkness. Okay, and I'm, we're looking at several times here where the lights have gone out on earth. Several times it has gone out. The first time was at Lucifer's rebellion. Okay, so if... Here, here, I want you to think about this. And scripture has to be kind of—you have to compare spiritual with spiritual. You can't—the Bible doesn't just give it to you completely in chronological order. So you have to think, you have to compare, and you have to pull it, just like putting a puzzle together. You know, the fun of it is not open it up and it's already put together. The fun of it and the irritation of it is that piece does not actually fit. 75 days later, you finally find the piece under the carpet somewhere, and that. Fits. Right? That's how it is to study the Bible. So we're going to put a couple things together here, and I want you to think about this. The Bible says, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Okay? Uh, when did Satan fall? Did Satan fall before the Garden of Eden? Well, he couldn't have. Because it says, Thou hast been in Eden, the Garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering. So he had to fall after God created the earth, after the Garden of Eden. And so what happens is, Satan is the anointed cherub. He has that place, and and Scripture seems to indicate that there was a mountain, uh, the mountain of God, and that it connected somehow with heaven. I don't know exactly how it was, but that's why, by the way, it seems people are always trying to build this tower whose top may reach unto heaven. They're trying to recreate the Garden of Eden, right? They're trying to get up there again where they can commune and connect with God. And, uh, and so what happens is that Satan falls. We don't know when it happened, but somewhere on, along the lines it fell and uh, he fell. And as a result of that, what, what happens? Well, Genesis chapter one, verse two, the earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep. All right, so if God's creating the earth and He created the earth, but we find the earth is without form and void, and darkness is a big part of what's going on. So we won't take the time to go through all this, but the lights got turned out when Lucifer rebelled. There was a time somewhere in there where it, it, God's light was everywhere. And by the way, there there was light, let there be light, and then God created the sun. So there's there's a a divine light of some kind that's different from the sun. But here, the lights get turned out in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. Now, moving on, Exodus chapter 10. Let's turn there, Exodus chapter 10, and verse 21. Again, another connection with the plagues, the ten plagues of Egypt. Exodus chapter 10. And look at verse 21. The Lord said unto Moses, stretch out thine hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt. What is Egypt a type of? Type of the world. And so there's darkness, in a sense, over the world. Even darkness. And notice how he uh, defines it, describes it. Darkness which may be felt. What is that? I don't know. And I don't want to know. And Moses stretched forth his hand toward heaven, and there was a thick darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. So this is the, the, the divine darkness that God brings. And why? God does not bring darkness because God loves darkness. The Bible says that he dwells in thick darkness, but God is light. God is light. Why is there darkness? Because of judgment. Judgment. And so God does allow it. God does allow judgment. And God can dwell in that darkness of judgment. But uh, it is not the characteristic of God. It is the judgment of God. It's not what God wants. It's what God is judging because he doesn't want it. And then we see next there was lights that went out at the crucifixion. Uh, Jesus said, as long as I am in the world, I am the, what the light of the world. When he leaves, who becomes the light of the world? We do the Christians. Ye are the light of the world. But when Jesus died, Mark chapter 15 says, when the sixth hour was come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. Again, judgment who was being judged on the cross. Jesus was being judged. The son of God was being judged, not for his sins, but for our sins. And, and so God turned the lights out. And it wasn't just because he didn't want to see his son suffer. God can see the light, the darkness and the light are both alike to him. It was because God was showing the people that this is a day of divine judgment. And I don't want to, I don't, you, can, you, can, you ever have a crowd that's going crazy in a big thing, a big room, auditorium, gymnasium, whatever. One way to get everybody's attention, turn the lights out. You know, and if you work with college and career, we used to say, if the lights go out, everybody clap and whistle. So they're not holding hands or kissing. <laughs> but uh, they did anyhow, so it didn't matter. <laughs> But darkness is a judgment. It's a divine judgment. Lights went out there. And then we see again here in Revelation 16, the lights will go out at the pouring of the fifth vial. He is bringing judgment on this, quote unquote, unstoppable authority. This king who cannot be stopped. Now, we're going to go through several uh, I want you to look, if you would, at Amos chapter 5. Amos chapter 5. Go back to the minor prophets. If you can't find it, go to to Matthew and go left. And keep looking and find Uncle Amos in there. Amos chapter 5. Look at verse 18. Amos 5.18. Woe unto you that desire the day of the Lord. To what end is it for you? The day of the Lord is darkness and not light. Darkness and not light. And by the way, uh, for those that are wondering, that, that helps understand the day of the Lord is not just when Jesus Christ returns. And it's not just the beginning of the tribulation. Uh, This is a particular part of the day of the Lord. It doesn't last for the entire length of the tribulation. It is a part of the day of the Lord. It is when God is increasing the judgments and more and more and more before he returns. And if you were here when Brother Knox was here, it was a huge blessing the message he preached about how it is dark when the Lord returns and then the light of the world comes down. Uh, Jesus Christ, amazing message. You get a chance to listen to that. Um, Nahum chapter one, I'll read some verses. If you want to find them, you can. Nahum chapter one, verse six, who can stand before his indignation and who can abide in the fierceness of his anger? His fury is poured out like fire and the rocks are thrown down by him. Verse eight, but with an overrunning flood, he will make an utter end of the place thereof and darkness shall pursue his enemies. Zephaniah chapter 1 verse 15. Zephaniah chapter 1 verse 15. That day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of wasteness and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness. And the scripture tells us in Mark 13, Jesus said after that, in those days after that tribulation, the sun shall be darkened and the moon shall not give her light. So there is a day of darkness that comes. And notice, if you would, in, in chapter 16 of Revelation, he is, the men are scorched with great heat and blaspheme the name of the Lord. And then in verse 10, what do we enter into? Then into darkness. They are exploring the, the extreme edges of God's judgment. He's going to make it seven times brighter and he's going to make it dark. Contrast. Can you imagine the the pressure that's going to put on the men who are here blaspheming the name of the Lord? Look at Isaiah. One final verse today. Isaiah 60. Uh, We may have one more after this, but um, I think we have two more. Isaiah chapter 60. Isaiah chapter 60. And, and uh, you know, we've turned to a lot of scriptures here. I just want to say this. That's how I learned the Bible that I know was going back and forth and back and forth. Um, and if you have a phone, the only danger with that is it's hard to remember where exactly it is because it's all the same. That's the only thing. So it, it can help to, you know, to, to go back and forth in your Bibles like that. Look at verse 2, Isaiah 60, verse 2. For behold, the the darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people. But the Lord shall arise upon thee, and his glory shall be seen upon thee. So you see, in verse 1, thy light is come, the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. And in the end of verse 2, his glory shall be seen upon thee. And then, the Gentiles shall come to thy light. And kings to the brightness of thy rising. So who has light? Israel or the Gentiles? Verse number one. The glory of the Lord has risen upon thee. He's talking about the uh, the nation of Israel. They have light. The Gentiles, the people who are outside of that remnant, they're in darkness. And then watch what happens with the Gentiles. They see that light. And some of them come to the light. Because they are, he said, he was going to make them a light unto the Gentiles, and we think of that as a metaphor, and truly it is. The light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ shines unto us, but here it's actual light. So you know, you ever see out in the desert where uh, towns out in the desert they have those spotlights, and you can see the column of light going up for miles. That's kind of like what it's going to be in the tribulation. God's going to have light for those people, and when that darkness hits going to be some bugs that are attracted to the light and uh, it so that that's it, the type we are the type of that uh, we are supposed to be the light that attracts other people light what kind of light well let me ask you this do you are you known for having a good attitude or a bad attitude at your work If you're known for having a bad attitude, you can't be a a light. can't. Now listen, I'm having a bad day. Yeah, but a bad decade? (laughs) Just having a bad, you know, having a bad life. Right? I'm not suggesting you walk around, you know, whistle while you work. Boy, it sure is good to be saved. Praise the Lord. Let's all kneel down and pray. No, I don't think you have to do that. It probably would not be good to do that. (laughs) But, you know, why can't you be the one that's got a little bit of a lighter spirit? A little bit of happiness at some point. Well, I'm just having a hard time. Yeah, but if you were to drop dead, you'd go to heaven. If the people around you were dropped dead, they'd go to hell. Man, it really hurts when we say it that starkly, doesn't it? We've got to recognize that maybe just an attitude. Hey, maybe coffee isn't enough. Maybe you need the, the Holy Spirit of God to lift you up. You know, and, uh, and, and why? God wants to use you as a light. Hey, at the very least, don't be a jerk. Very least. So if somebody says, you know where that is? No, find it yourself. <laughs> don't do that. Well, that's a hundred time they've said it to me. Well, I, I, I'm not judging you because <laughs> I don't have to deal with them. But I'm just saying, if you act the same way everyone else does, then why would they think that you're any different than anybody else is? And isn't it true that there is a difference in your eternal destinies? It is true. And so you've got to ask the Lord, Lord, please help me. I'm going to battle. I'm going to battle. Some, some of us need to ask the Lord to help us as we go home. We can be, you know, social butterflies when we're out there. When we get home, we become the, uh, the, the uh, I don't know, insert bad character. Whoever can't think of one. Maybe, maybe the lord would help us to be a light outside and even a light inside cuz what's the single ba- what's the single biggest determining factor of whether or not your kids turn out for god anybody know it's you parents it's you you're the single biggest determining factor if you don't serve God, if you, if you decide, I'm, not, I'm checking out, I'm going to slow down, I'm blah, 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 your kids will follow you. Now, they don't have to, thank God. They don't have to, but that's the single biggest determining factor. I was thinking about it today, thinking back about a whole bunch of teenagers that grew up in church here. You know what happens? Life happens. We've got to be careful. We can be a light for the gospel. We can be a light for Jesus in our homes and out of our homes. Amen. And that's what Israel is. They're light. Now, one final thing. Romans 1.21. Here's the final verse. And we'll close her down. Amen. Romans chapter 1. Look at Romans chapter 1. Look at verse 21. Talking about the heathen nations. And he says, Because that when they knew God... They glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Darkened. What does that mean? It didn't used to be as dark, but it got dark. And it was darker than it used to be. Now we say, I've said this many times, but why is it such a bad thing to cuss around kids? Who cares? why are we worried about that you know why because we know what it's like for the heart to be darker and we don't want our kids hearts to be dark we got to be careful believers the reason why it got so it gets so dark in the tribulation is not just out of the blue everybody just says i hate god that's it they have been headed that way evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse deceiving and being deceived and and it happens in our own lives what is it that you're okay with now that doesn't bother you? That it's because you're grown up now. It's because you're mature. You've been around the block. In other words, you've been involved with sin. <laughs> That's what it comes down to. I'm not saying I blush when I hear a curse word, but I used to. I'm just saying there, there, we have to be careful of our own hearts. That darkness, oh, these people, I can't believe that they would ever, well, there's truly, I mean, you're talking about a major judgment of God, and these people are cursing God while they're excruciatingly, uh, you know, have this, this pain and sore. But, but, but think about, it. doesn't our old nature have that to a lesser degree? It does. Where in our lives are we resisting the judgment of God by allowing our heart to get darker and darker and darker? Maybe we've got to push back and say, Lord, I want some freedom and some light. I want some naivete. I want some innocence. Lord, I want you to reset my heart so I'm not watching movies that are worse and worse and worse and listening to music that is more carnal and darker. And, 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 and I'm friends with people whose lives are just continually, have you felt the pull of the world and the culture? Listen, I, we're not supposed to be going backward. We're supposed to be going upward. Some people say, well, I'm just going to flow along with the culture. Some people say, no, we need to go back to the 50s. when it, We can't go back in time. But you know what you can do? You can be pulled upward. You can get above the darkness of this world. You see, there are some people that are watching the angels pouring the vials of judgment out on the earth and on the sun. And they're saying, thank God for his mercy and grace in my life. Thank God that one day I said, Lord, forgive me. Be merciful to me, a sinner. I said, I'm sorry, God, and I accepted his salvation. And that's the reason I'm watching it happen to other people and not to me. I'm sure no one, none of us are going to be happy as we watch God kill people on the earth. But I can promise you this. God is just in what he does, and he gave everyone an opportunity to be rescued from that judgment. And so as you and I as believers, as we're thinking about the judgment of God, may I remind you that your sin nature is no different than the sin nature of the people that are in this situation. Amen. And so if God's going to judge them for their inequity, God's not happy with our iniquity. And that's to remind us as believers that God's called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. We get a chance to be happy and free. Yes, our, though the outward man perish, your body hurts. Your mind doesn't work like it used to, but the inward man is renewed day by day. Yes, you can have light even in the midst of a dark world. Let's take our Bible, our prayer list here. We've looked at the Bibles. Now let's look at our prayer list.